Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for making time for me today. And I hope you've had a great day as we're probably in the middle of a very busy week. You got a lot going on. So I hope uh, this will encourage you in your day and continue to build you up in your faith. And we're going to have a great show for you. Genevieve Wood is going to be my first guest. She's already on our studio line. So I'm not going to wait around anymore. She is a counselor and spokesperson over at the Heritage Foundation and one of the uh, founders of The Daily Signal. Genevieve, welcome back. Bill, good to be with you, and happy early Thanksgiving to you and your listeners. Yeah, thank you. Are you doing the cooking uh, this uh, Thanksgiving? Doing part of it. We're, uh, my sister, we're very, we're very grateful and blessed. We, uh, my parents and my sister's in-laws, and we all live in the same area, and so can have a big family Thanksgiving. And that also means everybody brings individual parts, so no one person is responsible for the whole thing, which is kind of nice. Yeah, and what are you bringing this uh, Thanksgiving? We're doing dressing and the green salad, cornbread mm. dressing to be Ooh. specific. Oh. I know people have all different kinds of dressings that they do, right? <laughs> that sounds really good. I think it's going to be great, yeah. Yeah, well, enjoy time with your family and loved ones. And I would love to uh, ask and pick your brain a little bit on some of the things going on in our nation's capital. And I I have not followed much of the news in the last several weeks, so I have to say I'm a little out of sync. So I'm going to need to rely— And you're probably a happier person. I am a much happier person, (laughs) to be honest. I mean, I do—I am out of sync. Now, has the new House been determined and, and established, and is Nancy Pelosi in leadership or out of leadership? Well, she's going to be out of leadership in terms of she's not going to be the Speaker of the House. It has been determined that Republicans will take over the majority. I think they picked up one more seat uh, today. So they're at, I think, 219, maybe heading to two. Yeah, I think at 219, uh, the predictions are they're probably going to somewhere around 222, maybe, because uh, there's a couple of seats still outstanding in California and a couple of other places. But uh, Nancy Pelosi has announced that she's stepping down. Not only she clearly won't be Speaker of the House. But she's also said she's not going to run for Democratic Party leader, Um, but she's going to stay. She says she's just going to stay and represent the people of San Francisco. Uh, My guess is she wants to stay and make sure that AOC and others don't run off with the party. But we'll, uh, you know, look, she's been in in the leadership role for 20 years, Mm -hmm. which is pretty remarkable, uh, regardless of what you think of her politics. She's clearly been effective in her role for her particular party, Uh, but it's kind of an end of an era in the House. Not only end of an era, but she was uh, really good at uh, raising money and doing all the relationship things she needed to do to keep the Democratic Party going strong. No, you're They're going to miss her. Huge, huge fun. Oh, totally going to miss her. Yep. Huge fundraiser. Uh, and, you know, look, Republican leadership could learn a lot from Nancy Pelosi in terms of, you know, whenever you hear, say, conservatives put forth an idea and you hear, well, we just don't have the votes for that. You know, we, we've got enough Republicans, but we don't have enough conservatives. Somehow Nancy Pelosi always managed to get through things like Obamacare. Mm-hmm. No matter how slim a majority she may have had, she was able to force the votes on the things that mattered most to, to her and the progressive left, for that matter. Uh, she didn't worry about, well, there's moderates in my party that I can't get. She made she found ways to make it happen. 
I'd like to see Republicans be a little more strong like that when it comes to conservative public policies. Mm. I think they know that. I think they've maybe uh, learned in this last election cycle that not having a bolder agenda and leadership plan for, for Americans to look at and vote on costs them some seats. Uh, I hope they, they learn that and, and uh, act differently uh, when ke- likely Kevin McCarthy gets to take up the mantle. Now, that was going to be my next question. Is it going to be Kevin McCarthy taking over? If most likely, I mean, something you know, there's there's been rumblings. He had to challenge uh, when it was just among Republicans voting, but when it goes to the full House, of course, it's both Republicans and Democrats voting uh, for that leader that leadership role. I think by the time they get there, he's most likely to get the votes. Mm-hmm. And then what would happen to Mitch McConnell? You know, I don't see any reason at this point that Mitch McConnell is also likely not going to end up with a leadership position. But both of them, I think, are in very different positions than they were the last time. Well, McCarthy's never been never been Speaker of the House. But Mm -hmm. uh, I think even for Mitch McConnell, this will be a different type of leadership role that he's had to play in the past because he's got. You know, Josh Hawley, for example, uh, they brought in reinforcements, people like J.D. Vance, who are going to, I think, really want to push the senator to take harder stands than he's done in the past, mm-hmm. at least in the past past few cycles. Yeah. Genevieve Wood is my guest uh, from the Heritage Foundation and the Daily Signal. And Genevieve, I have not followed what's been going on at the southern border. What's going on with immigration? I have been really out of touch. Well, I mean, as people who follow this at all know, over the last two years, uh, we have seen record numbers of people crossing the border illegally. Uh, in 20, this past year alone, it was over 2.7 million. And that's only the people that we apprehended. That is not the people who crossed, got away, you know, didn't, didn't go through any security whatsoever. So that, that number is actually far higher. Uh, the administration is saying they've got a new plan to deal with it. But the reality is this administration doesn't want to deal with it. They want to see illegal immigration actually happening. Or you, Because I think Mayorkas, uh, Secretary Mayorkas of Homeland Security recently made a comment, well, it's all that's going on in the Southern Hemisphere. Look, there have been challenges in the Southern Hemisphere for years. The difference that we had in the past two years is not what's happening in Mexico. It's not even what's happening in places like Venezuela. It's what's happening or not happening in our White House and in the determination of, of the Department of Homeland Security and, frankly, the Democratic Party as a whole to secure our southern border. They are fine with an open border there. I think they believe this will bring in more voters in the future uh, for the Democratic and liberal uh, persuasion. And so they, they have no interest in securing it, mm-hmm. sadly. Yeah. Genevieve Wood is my guest. If you have a question for her, because I haven't been watching the news uh, much lately, so I'm going to run out of questions really fast. (laughs) So if you have one, the text line is open for you. Please uh, text over your question to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Genevieve, what's the uh, update on Big Tech and Twitter? Well, uh, the I guess the most recent news is President Trump, former President Trump, is back on Twitter. And my understanding is I haven't actually checked this for myself, so your listeners can go see if I'm right about this. But he already has more followers uh, than President Biden does, <laughs> and he just got back on. So, and I think when he was reinstated, it wasn't with all of his previous followers. So that that's kind of fun and interesting fact. But you know what's interesting and something I didn't know uh, as you. Your listeners probably do know when he started Truth Social, which is the kind of alternate Twitter platform mm-hmm. that Trump started, 
he agreed that he would exclusively t- make statements there. In other words, he has to, tr- quote unquote, tweet on, on Truth Social. He can't do that on Twitter. Now, with that, he has to wait like six hours before whatever he said there, he can repost there. Mm-hmm. We'll see if that goes on. Uh, we'll see if the president, you know, comes back in full force on Twitter. It was such a great platform for him from him before. Uh, but it's the fact that he's back, the fact that Elon Musk, you know, did due diligence. And not only pre- I mean, President Trump's the most well-known name, but there are many people who are now back who are deplatformed because you had a company that, you know, they really wanted one side, one viewpoint to be heard. And they were canceling people across the board. Many of those people are now actually coming back. But, you know, you're also seeing the corporate arena get involved here. Advertisers saying that they're pulling out. Um, you know, you had CBS News reporting, oh, Twitter's going to crash and burn. It's not going to have, you know, be able to continue. Look, I think Elon Musk has a lot of work to do. But I think he, uh, if anybody can probably turn it around, it will be him. But, again, it, it also just shows when you have such a huge platform, I think 90% of, of the money coming into Twitter was from advertisers, and you have so many American advertisers basically for political reasons saying we're pulling our money because we don't like the fact that now Elon Musk owns Twitter mm-hmm. or that he's going to let President Trump come back. That tells you a lot, unfortunately, about where American businesses and corporations are. Yeah, I'm even thinking of a person who might have a following of six or 800,000 people where are they going to go? They're not going to just abandon all their following. I mean, that's that's their voice. That's how they connect to to their um, their followers. Yeah, there's not a lot of people connect to their followers. But uh, no. I, look, I, I don't I, I don't think that the platform's going to go away. I think that was a kind of a red herring to put out there, a trial balloon to see if they can tank the Twitter stock even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I nothing's happened. All the all the uh, you know scared kind of headlines are, that were running a couple of days ago seem to have calmed down. Mm-hmm. Genevieve Wood is my guest. If you have a question for Genevieve, uh, let me know what it is. Text it over, please, to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Lots going on in our nation's capital, in our world. If you have a question, let me know. I'll get it on the air. And, of course, you can remain anonymous. We'll be right back with Genevieve Wood in just a minute. Hi, this is Bill Arnold, and thank you for checking out the podcast. I'm always glad when you make your way over to MyFaithRadio.com and look through the menu of everything you can listen to, programs that have already aired that you might want to hear again, or maybe you have a friend or a family member in mind that would really be blessed by hearing something you heard And then it gives you an opportunity to talk about it and share your faith with a loved one. It's one of the great things I love about the podcasting at Faith Radio. And we have a great fundraiser coming up, so I would love for you to say yes to that. You can text the word GIVE right now to 877-933-2484 or follow the link in the show notes to give your gift today. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to have Genevieve Wood on from The Daily Signal, also from the Heritage Foundation. She 
is one of the founding members of the Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com. If you usually tune in now, you hear Rob Bluey, but I don't know what Rob's doing today, but I know, uh, Genevieve, you probably see him regularly, don't you? I do see Rob quite often, yes. Great colleague. We've uh, both been at Heritage for, I think I came in 2006 and maybe Rob in 2007, so have been there a long time. Yeah, is his hair always perfect? <laughs> it's pretty close. I gotta say, I don't think I've ever seen Rob with his hair messed up. But now that you say that, I'm gonna have to give him a hard time. <laughs> oh, I think you should. I think you should. A couple, uh, Genevieve, a couple questions came in from listeners. Do you think uh, oh, a Donald Trump presidential campaign is viable in the current political landscape? Well, yes, I do. Uh, And I think he made a calculation that is. And I'm not saying that means he's definitely going to win. But is there a viable presidential campaign race to run? Absolutely. Uh, And look, the next two years is a long it's a long time. A lot can happen, as we all know. Stories the 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 news cycle changes very quickly. Uh, But I think, you know, he's. You know, things like what's happened with Twitter and other things, the fact that the, uh, you know, the Hunter Biden stuff that's now coming out that two years ago, the president and among other conservative news outlets were pointing to is this should have been a story uh, that they suppressed during the 2020 right on the eve of that election. So many of those things coming forward, the continual attempt to to sue him, uh, whether it's the state of New York or whether it's the federal government, uh, the IRS, you saw uh, Merrick Garland coming out. You know, the fact that those kind of, quote-unquote, persecutions continue to happen, even for those who, have, I think, in some cases would like to maybe see the former president take a pass this time around, they, they like and appreciate what he did for the country, but think maybe it's time for somebody new, that riles them up, that they continue to go after him. So, look, there, like I said, there's a long time. I think other people are probably going to get in the race. Uh, but right now, it's viable. Right now, he's the only declared candidate. Oh, well. And speaking of the Hunter Biden investigation, what do you think is going to happen there? I mean, it seems that uh, if the Republicans are going to, in fact, win the House, it seems like that's one of the things they've been talking about nonstop. No, absolutely. And you've had some people say, oh, well, if you know these other investigations that are going on uh, coming out of the uh, Department of Justice and so forth could put a hamper on that. The reality is the uh, House of Representatives they have oversight and they have investigative powers that are outside of that area. So there's no reason they can't pursue this. And whether it's the Hunter Biden situation or the border situation that we talked about, there is a lot that Republicans can do. They aren't going to be able to pass a lot of a lot of legislation that will get through the Senate and that Joe Biden will sign. They'll be able to stop a lot of things. They can stop budget bills from coming through. Spending bills start actually in the House. So they can do a lot to put a cut on spending and not let the Senate vote on such things. But the reality is much of their power of the next two years will be in the oversight and investigation area. And they need to absolutely use that power. Mm-hmm. Genevieve, you're doing great. Do you, do you mind these listener questions? No, I love them. That's oh, great. Love oh, good. That. Here's another one. I have a hard time believing that we are still waiting for election results two weeks after the election. Do you know why? Uh, because you've got a lot of states that have crazy rules now that allow people to vote you know, to mail in a ballot even on election day. Mm. So you can you can be you can mail in your ballot on election day and somehow we're still supposed to count it two weeks two weeks later. Um, look, and this is something I think that um, we just have to come to terms with right now. The way that that especially our voting system was changed during COVID, where we allowed for all these mail in ballots, we extended 
greatly uh, the windows by which people could vote. And this was in all, you know, all the different states. That is a reality that we're in right now. And I, and I, you know, I think that I remember being on your show, uh, Bill, right before the election, I think maybe the day before or something mm-hmm. like that. And I was ahead of much positive viewpoint, positive viewpoint than what actually occurred. And I think the reason that, you know, there's a number of reasons that you can point to. Republicans should have had a stronger, bolder agenda, not just here's what you should be against, but here's what you're for. There's a number of things we can point to. But I think the biggest issue is that by the time we got to Election Day, most of the votes had already been counted. Um, they'd, already been, they'd already been mailed in or collected. And those are the new rules of the game. Mm-hmm. I don't like them. I don't I either. We ought to sort the window. We ought to have Election Day. But until those rules are changed, we got to play by the rules that we have. And I think conservatives have to help uh, where they can. It's usually Republican candidates. They've got to get out there and get into the business of whether it's early voting, mail-in ballots. They need to make sure that our people are mailing in their ballots early. They need to make sure that we're out there getting people to early vote. We can't just say, well, we're just going to show up on election day. Uh, doesn't, it just, those aren't the rules anymore. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're kind of playing with one arm tied behind our back. I think we ought to try to change the rules, but until that happens, uh, we got to go after it because otherwise you're going to have ridiculous, like what the listener just asked here, why are we still counting votes two weeks later? Yeah, Genevieve, if they put you and I in charge of the world, things are going to change. <laughs> we could get it done in a day, right? Yeah, we could. We could get it done in <laughs> one done day. In a day. Yeah. That'd All right. Great. <laughs> let's, let's talk about the, um, the marriage bill. This is a big one. It is a big one. Yeah. So this is legislation that uh, went through the Senate uh, last week. Well, it went through with the, with the Senate voting to, to uh, move it to the floor so they could get a vote. Twelve Republican senators uh, voted for that, which is a disgrace in my view. This is a piece of legislation that the sponsors would say all we're trying to do is just to put into law, meaning like Constitution or you know having Congress pass a law, what the Supreme Court did in a big, uh, the Supreme Court case, I guess, seven, eight years ago, that legalized same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. But the reality is they're not only trying to make that, you know, codify the law, th- there is not strong language in this bill, despite what the, distract- the sponsors of it would say, that will, uh, keep, that will keep religious freedoms where they should be. In other words, they're saying, oh, well, we're not going to force churches who don't want to perform same-sex marriages, they won't be penalized for doing so. That may or may not be the case. But what is not in there is is language that protects individual citizens, whether you're a private Christian school, whether you're a pastor, whether you're somebody, a Christian, who owns a company who doesn't want to produce materials for gay weddings. We've seen those cases already in the past. There is not language in there that will protect those people. And there's a simple fix to it. Uh, Senator Mike Lee of Utah has created language that could be an amendment to that legislation that would make for very strong religious freedom, religious liberty protections, and he can't get uh, a majority of the senators to, to add that to it. Now, let me ask this. If you really want that legislation to go through and you say that you're all about re- keeping religious liberty, why wouldn't you just add Mike Lee's amendment? What's the problem with doing that? If you knew that that could get you the votes and you could just get this thing to sail through, why wouldn't you add that amendment? That says to me, because they don't want it to be uh, a bill that is locked and sealed with religious liberty protections. They don't want that because they eventually want to be able to use the government to come after people of faith 
who believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. They don't believe that, you know, two men should be able to get married or two women or that children ought to be able to be should be forced to be placed in those homes. You shouldn't force Christian adoption agencies to have to give uh, uh, babies or, or, or children who need to be adoption into uh, homosexual homes. They ought to be able to have those rules. They're, they're people of faith, and those adoption agencies in those cases are run by Christian values and, and Christian beliefs, uh, biblical beliefs. And I think this legislation is a big threat to all of that. We've written tons about it uh, at the Daily Signal, where you can go to dailysignal.com, heritage.org, uh, that makes all the different points about it. But would really encourage your listeners uh, to take a look at the 12 Republican senators in particular who have been wrong on this. Uh, and maybe suggest giving them a phone call to say that you you uh, have a problem with that. Yeah, well, that's that's an important, a very important issue. All right, let's uh, in our few remaining minutes, Genevieve, talk about Thanksgiving. There was a, a great article that was written uh, at the Daily Signal, and now I lost it. <laughs> that's a, no, it, it you is. You probably know what I'm talking about, don't you? I, I, I think it's a, if it's we may have more than one, but I think you may be thinking about the piece, the piece that talks about. Uh, you know, it's, Rachel it's Alexander. Our, that's right. Who's with our uh, B. Kenneth Simon Center for uh, American Political Thought and Studies. Mm-hmm. And she wrote a great piece just saying, you know, in our culture today, there's such a rush to go from, you know, basically Halloween to Thanksgiving, I mean, to, to Christmas. You yeah. just kind of skip right over mm-hmm. the Thanksgiving part. Uh, and it's so much of that is, I mean, she gets pretty deep and she gets into Aristotle and, uh, and just human nature as a whole, but that. So much of that is we're always looking for the next thing that we kind of we don't want to focus on ourselves or what might be wrong with ourselves. We just want to kind of move and buy the next thing that's going to make us feel good. And that Thanksgiving is kind of that stumbling block, if you will. And I know uh, uh, many of your listeners will, will understand that language. It's a stumbling block that stops us. And, and it should really do two things to help us be humbly thankful yes. um, you know, for all that we're given, uh, because it, they're all gifts from God. They're not things that we created on our, on our own. But at the same time, to be joyful and being thankful for those things. So the humility and the joy that can come together, and that Thanksgiving is really, what, it's a unique American holiday in that sense, that um, sadly, I think our corporate culture, sadly, American culture as a whole, has wanted to kind of begin erasing. Uh, I mean, think of all the money and decorations and attention that is given to something like Halloween. And look, I'm, I'm not opposed to playing ghosts and goblins. I, I know some people are, but it's not so, but I mean, some of that has become just so celebrated in our culture. I mean, the way that people really celebrate a holiday of evil, if you will. Mm-hmm. And yet they want to jump right over a holiday that was created specifically in this country. I know Canada and others have their own Thanksgivings, but it's a unique American holiday about our you know, from the very early times of our country, and also recognizing what a gift from God our freedoms are and the blessings in our life are. And it just seems that so much of the culture wants to erase that. And it's a great time, I think, for people of faith to really, to publicly embrace it and help remind others how important a holiday this is. And it is such an important holiday. And for many people, it's kind of one of their favorites because it's food and family and friends and fellowship. And there's not and the stress football. of and football. Yes, a lot of Fs in, in this uh, holiday. And we've got the Minnesota Vikings playing that evening. So as uh, yep. a Minnesota Vikings fan, when they're winning, which isn't very often, I get a chance uh, this season to feel a little bit more excited than usual. 
That's no, well, so this is probably not the best time for me to say that I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Yeah, but. probably not. <laughs> oh, look, we're out of time. I guess we'd oh, like to talk that, more, but we know? can't. Yeah. So well, the Cowboys play on Thanksgiving. But no, you're right. There's so many wonderful things, and so many Americans love the holiday. Yeah. I, we Let's not let the rest of the, let's not let corporate America and those on the left try to take it away from us. Amen. Thanks, Genevieve Wood. Have a great day. Thank you, Bill. Happy Thanksgiving. Blessings to you, too. Genevieve Wood has been my guest. You can go to thedailysignal.com, dailysignal.com. We'll be back with Dr. Alex McFarlane. Thanksgiving week, and I'm awfully grateful for my many guests that are regulars on the show, and I'm especially grateful to Dr. Alex McFarlane, who comes on about every other week, and I'm just uh, always looking forward to talking to him. He's a uh, Christian apologist, an author, and evangelist, and he's also a religion and culture analyst and expert. Always glad to have him on. Alex, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. Happy Thanksgiving, almost. uh, Happy Thanksgiving to you. I am looking forward to uh, the holiday, and do you talk about the origins of Thanksgiving very often? Um, Uh, I I do. In fact, I've written a lot of articles about it, and uh, it's a subject of great fascination. Yeah, it kind of is me too. And if you're in a position to talk about it, I would love to uh, have a little history lesson, a little history reminder. Well, listen, this will be fun because uh, you and I, we just seem to have so many common interests. But I remember, you know, Bill, as a kid, hearing about the pilgrims and, you know, the first Thanksgiving. I have come, you know, as I've written so much about American history and taught on the foundation of our government, one of the things that I just love about it is the writing and the ratifying of the Mayflower Compact, which, you know, the the pilgrims, the the ship full of people that we commonly call the pilgrims, came, and there was a, a second ship that didn't make it called the Speedwell. That was another ship, and it had to go back for repairs, and then they tried again, and the Speedwell was taking on water. So the Mayflower came for, you know, over two months at sea, and November 11, although, you know, the date they signed the Mayflower Compact is a little bit disputed. Was it November 11, 1620, or was it November 21, or was it December 11 that they fully uh, disembarked? But here's the thing, Bill. This first document of civil government in the New World, before they even disembarked from the Mayflower, they said, look, we've got to have some kind of ground rules. And I love how it begins. It says, uh, having transported here for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom, dot, 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 this body politic. So it's woven into our national DNA that they came here, yes, for religious freedom, and there, there were some on the Mayflower that were there that were on, on business, more business than Christian gospel, 
But the bottom line is the Mayflower Compact, our first document of civil government, was overtly Christian in its orientation and expressively evangelistic in its purposes. That's phenomenal. And if you think about that that crew, that group of people, roughly, I think it was 66 people on the Mayflower, and they arrive, um, well, no, no, let me think. I'm getting my numbers mixed up. People. Yeah, yeah, 106 people, and I think they yeah. it lasted about 66 days. I think that's yeah. the, the travel time. And by yeah, the time they got over two months, yeah, a little. By the time they got there, half the people on board were dead. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, they really um, in the last few days of the journey. I mean, there it was desperation, and they were begging God to get them to land. And they found, you know, they were there at uh, the Massachusetts Bay. Interestingly, I got to say this. Now, here's a little bit of trivia that even my brilliant friend Bill Arnold may not know. Uh, trust me, I the don't. The Hebrew word for tithe is an inherently agricultural word, and it's M-A-A-S-A-R, mesar, is the Hebrew word for tithe, all right? And tithing was agricultural, your crops, your livestock. So when the pilgrims got to what is now Massachusetts, um, it was already called by the Indians Massachusetts. Now, what does that word mean? Uh, does it mean mountain, or does it mean agriculture, um, or does it mean something about acknowledgement of God? I think it's very interesting that this word that goes back to time immemorial, Massachusetts, is very much like the Hebrew word for giving an offering to God from your agriculture. And Massachusetts now is, um, at least politically, not one of our more conservative states, although there are lots of Christians in Massachusetts and a lot of rich Christian history. But there, the pilgrims, they, they kind of docked in Massachusetts Bay, wrote this Christian document called the Mayflower Compact, and ultimately disembarked. But um, the word for Massachusetts is very akin to the ancient Hebrew word from for tithe. I think that's interesting. That's very interesting, and I did not know that, Dr. Alex McFarlane. Well, let's talk about Squanto. What what can you tell us about Squanto? Well, Squanto has been great fodder for books and cartoons and mm-hmm. uh, quit, uh, children's stories, but Squanto was an interpreter. Now, what's amazing is that Squanto knew English and had probably... Uh, been to Spain or Europe and Lee um, learned English, and he was an interpreter. The um, where the pilgrims were, there had been sickness and a lot of people had, had died. And Squanto was probably kind of like, I don't know if I would say an orphan, as in a young child, but a person whose family had died. So just in the providence of God, you know, this Indian that um, you know was known as Squanto, although his, his full name was really Tisquantum. He was a Native American who was an interpreter, and um, he was ready. He was at a position that having a new family and a new community to come around him, it was the right time because he didn't really have anybody else in the world. And so they befriended each other, and he was a key part of their survival, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I mean, they were weakened, and they had malnutrition, and Squanto taught them 
how to cultivate corn and get sap from maple trees and catch fish in the rivers and try to avoid poisonous plants and everything else that could get you in trouble. So he, yeah. he did an amazing thing. And, you know, would have been uh, an advocate to other Native Americans to, you know, show kindness, grace to these people. You know, don't just, let's not just go to war. It's like an, an advocate or somebody who comes alongside. And it's a beautiful story. But in this, you know, he was uh, probably met the pilgrims like in the spring of 1621. They got there, you know, uh, late November, early December 1620. By the spring of 1621, more than half the pilgrims had died. And that's why, folks, um, by the way, Bill, here on the East Coast, uh, there's a major, major furniture manufacturer that just declared bankruptcy yesterday, and somewhere between 5,000 and 10,000 people wow. are going to lose their jobs. And it's very sad. Our heart goes out to these people. Um, but, you know, we serve a God who knows what we need even before we ask, Matthew 6, 8. And we serve a God who uh, Hebrews 4.15 says that our Savior is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, and he's our high priest who, who cares. And I, I think that it's something that those pilgrims in 1621 could have a thanksgiving to God, even though more than half of their party had been buried since they arrived. And I just want to encourage everybody, um, find things to praise God for. Bill, I don't want to get us off the topic of Thanksgiving, but I was doing a, a study for some radio that I did this week, and a number of universities, Harvard University, University of California, Davis, UC Davis, and others have written volumes about the benefits of gratitude. And there were a study of like 411 um, people that were studied over several years, and they encouraged the people to once a week write write down on paper a couple of things you're grateful for. And it, it wasn't necessarily a religious exercise, although they noted that many in the study did praise God. But by writing and journaling things for which you're grateful, they found like the people's emotions were more stable, they felt more joy, went to the doctor less often, felt less stress. Mm. And so... I know there are challenges like the big furniture layoffs. And by the way, the domino effect, the furniture layoffs have resulted in railroad and transportation and trucking layoffs. But you know what? I think about those pilgrims giving thanks to God, um, even though they had buried more than half of their, their group. We've still, if we're willing to open our heart, we've got a lot to be grateful for at this time as well. That is... So wise, Alex, and I so appreciate you saying that, reminding us of that, because uh, we all need to be grateful and to be uh, mindful of how much we have to be thankful for. I'm just repeating right. myself yeah. over and over, because it is the time to be grateful and to say uh, thank you to God for his provision and all the things that happen in our life, and we can also pray for all the things that hasn't happened. Yeah. You know, I'm thankful to God for stuff that hasn't happened to me, like you say. Right. Um, and, you know, Bill, it might be that some of the things, some of the provisional 
providential protection of God we don't know about till we get to heaven. Mm-hmm. I would suspect we're going to find out perhaps car wrecks and injuries we were spared from, mm-hmm. diseases, um, many things that could have befallen us but didn't because of the merciful, preemptive care of our Savior. And uh, how about we also praise him for those things? Lord, there are some things known only to you, but I thank you for, for looking after me in those areas as well. And starting with our names being written in the book of life. Amen. Jesus said that. Don't rejoice that you have power over demons. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Mm-hmm. But the pilgrims... Uh, Bill, um, do you have any traditions with the Arnold household of things that you guys do for Thanksgiving? Well, nothing unusual. Uh, just a gathering of, of family, and there's lots of uh, enjoyment and love. And not only do we love each other, but we like each other. I think there's a, there's a difference to that. That's awesome. We actually That's really, awesome. really like being together. Yeah, our, our family does too. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's a dear old pastor friend, very influential in my life. He's in heaven now. But he would always say to different people, he would say, I love you and I like you. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and there's a difference. There is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know you and I, sometimes we talk about dead theologians. And we I'm have in the past. Down. Yeah. We have in the past. Yes. There was a guy named Vance Havner, and and I don't want to get off of Thanksgiving, but in a way, Vance Havner was a guy very influential in the life of Billy Graham. In fact, he pretty much urged Billy Graham to become an evangelist. And Vance Havner was just this great guy and, um, you know, brilliant, but he was married to a woman named Sarah, and uh, I knew Vance Havner's brother-in-law. His name was Joe Allred, lived to be about 103 and Vince Hebner's best friend was a guy named Bill Sigmund, great, great guy who raised a lot of money for missions here on the East Coast. But Vance Havner, some of your listeners will know this name. And after his wife passed away, see, Vance Havner was doing an interim at a pretty well-known church here called um, Westover Presbyterian. And so the morning he was to preach, he preached. And after the service, he said, folks, um, you know, I'm not trying to solicit sympathy here, but some of you wonder where Sarah, why she's not in church this morning. She passed away last night. And they said, oh my goodness, Dr. Havner, you know, you you shouldn't have come to preach on Sunday now that you've lost your wife. And he said, well, I've not lost her. I know right where she is, Mm -hmm. and she's with the Lord. But he wrote in his very famous book, Yea, Though I Walk Through the Valley, he said, when somebody is gone, you would give heaven and earth to relive even the most mundane day. You know, days that you think are just not significant. Once they're gone, you'd give anything to have another hour with that loved one. The reason I'm sharing all that, Bill, let's cherish our loved ones. Be thankful for that person because neighbor, friend, family member, they're, they're not an aggravation to be endured. They're a person to be cherished and loved. And so... Thank God that we have people around, because I'll tell you as a pastor who's done a lot of funerals, when once people are gone, even your loved ones that are saved, they're in heaven now, but you miss them so keenly, so let's love them and let them know they're loved while they're here among us to be told. Yeah, there's something so wise about the beauty of an ordinary day, a, a common day, 
Amen. A run-of-the-mill day where you enjoy uh, loved ones and you have conversation and meals together and you laugh and you think, well, nothing spectacular happened today, but in reality, that's pretty spectacular. Preach it, brother. Yeah. That, that's right on the money. We're at break time, um, so I can't preach it. So we'll. Uh, I go. love ordinary days. I do too. I do too. Let me take a break, and we'll come back with Dr. Alex McFarland. You can, of course, learn all about Alex at alexmcfarland.com. That's alexmcfarland.com. We'll be right back. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be talking to Dr. Alex McFarland. You can learn more about Alex at alexmcfarland.com. So, I just had a nice note come in from a listener. I absolutely agree with Alex. My wife and I are traveling this Thursday down in Illinois to see one of my last cousins. Though I seldom see her, I'm glad we still have her. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful response? Yeah. What what a blessing. What a blessing. Mm Mm-hmm. And... uh, and as God's I, good to us. He, he is. And in 1 John, it is 1 John, where did it go? 1 John 4, verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Mm. Amen. And you know what? Uh, when we're loving others and showing grace, but being faithful and grateful, I mean, that's Christ-likeness, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But, First, you know... Um, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I just I still have First John two ten open too. That says the one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. Mm. Amen, amen. Well, you know the Romans would say that uh, there was a Cicero and Solon were these Roman orators and political leaders, and they said that gratitude is the mother of all other virtues. And you and I have talked about this before. But but really, um, and, and, and I've had students, Bill, and kids in my youth group and employees, frankly, that um, sometimes see the world like with a jaundiced eye, and they just can't seem to be grateful for anything. And I, I've just noticed, I mean, people that are grateful generally have really, really good character. People that are not grateful... Um, you you see traits in their lives that they they get frustrated there's you know there there's a lot of negative that comes out of ingratitude there's many virtues and many positives that come out of gratitude but um december 13 1621 so this is like a year and two or three days after getting off of the mayflower um have you have you read those words from edward winslow about that that first Thanksgiving that was really a three-day feast to thank God and celebrate with the, the friendly Indians. Um, 
from Squanto and the I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong the the Wampanoag tribe. Mm -hmm. Have you read the words of of Edward Winslow? I I did. I don't remember them, but I did re I did re read them at one point. And are we portraying this exchange between um, the settlers and the Wampanoag Indians correctly? I mean, are we presenting this well? Wasn't there violence as well in that settlement? Um, well, yeah, there there was, and you know, um, the 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 Indians showed grace. I mean, really, because there had been, you know. <sighs> Squanto himself had been abducted and taken, you know, for um, trade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, slavery, yeah. you might as well say it. And so, listen, the, the Indians, the Native Americans, I know I've got to say it correctly, but the Native Americans um, would have had plenty of reason to distrust Europeans. But um, in terms of uh, giving grace over some of the, the bloodshed, giving grace to show about farming and survival, really, in this wilderness. Um, yeah, there, there was a lot, of, a lot of grace shown. And um, I think it's, I don't know, it's very, for lack of a better word, collegial, the fact that they, for three days, you know, Winslow said, our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fouling. In other words, go out and go out and find some quail or pheasants, kill mm -hmm. some birds, mm -hmm. go fowling, so that we might, after a special manner, rejoice together. Many of the Indians coming amongst us, their greatest king, Massasoit, with some 90 men, who for three days we entertained and feasted. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God we are far from want. And, of course, William Bradford, you know, later on would... Um, institute that this would be kind of a perpetual um, thing, but uh, yeah, the, there had been violence and there was initial distrust, mm -hmm. but you know, what could have been a massacre on either side, I think God prevented, Bill. I, did, I believe that he did too. Now, with our few minutes remaining, Alex, let's go back to gratitude, because I know gratitude is going to help unshackle us from some of our emotions that might be negative. And if you sit down and, and write a letter of appreciation to someone you care about or, or, and love, or just send a note of gratitude, you can write it and not even send it. You'll still get the good feelings from what you share. Um, and I think gratitude also has a little bit of an effect on your brain. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fire some of the, the good uh, serotonin in your brain, some of the good dopamine. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Hey, by the way, you know it takes energy to be angry. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it really does. It's it's very draining and very depleting to be angry. Um, but I, I was doing some research, Bill, and I, there was uh, probably a man named Doctor uh, Robert Emmons is the guru of gratitude these days. He's done many studies, but he and a number of others have written about the benefit. Uh, people that are grateful sleep better. Mm -hmm. uh, they have better relationships, more stable emotions. They, um, one study says that people that are grateful um, are more uh, focused mentally. Now, 
let me, uh, Robert Emmons, UC Davis, has done so much of the research on gratitude. But let me show you this. There's a lady named Amy Morin, M-O-R-I-N. She's a psychotherapist. Her work has been translated into over 20 languages. She's got a TED Talk on gratitude that's been viewed over 16 million times. And she says this, mentally strong people choose to exchange self-pity, selfishness, narcissism, exchange it for gratitude. Now, whether you choose to write a few sentences down on paper or keep a journal or just take a, a moment to pray or acknowledge all that you have, gratitude will transform your life, end of quote. She says, uh, better relationships. And he, this is a, a huge one. When an employer simply says periodic thank yous to workers, they, they feel like productivity is 50% higher. Isn't that something? Yeah. Showing appreciation builds self-esteem among the entire group. Gratitude improves physical health. Grateful people ex experience fewer aches and pains and arthritis. Isn't that something? That's amazing. How's that for beating sore joints? <laughs> Just cultivating a happier, more grateful spirit. Isn't yeah. Um, I'm now. I I did some research, Bill, for a about a seven-minute little radio piece. And I'm looking at probably 25 pages of research about the scientific proof of the benefits of being grateful. I'm convinced. I wish we would have started this seven minutes ago. Huh. Well, <laughs> listen, and listen, I'm so thankful. I got to say this. Um, I'm just thankful that I get to be on this incredible faith radio network every couple of day, uh, every couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to have you on. Win-win. Uh, well, you know, God is so good. Grew up in the South, grew up on a farm. I've got a Southern accent that would make Jed Clampett uh, blush. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Beverly Hillbillies would probably listen to my voice and say, wow, that guy is really Southern. Mm -hmm. And yet, Christ saved my soul. Amen. Got to uh, go to school, serve the Lord, ultimately meet Bill Arnold and be a regular on Faith Radio. I have a lot to be grateful for. Amen. Alex, thank you for coming on and have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours as well. Thank and you. Love to the great Faith Radio audience. Amen. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Right on, brother. All right. God thanks. Bless. Yep. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. You can learn more about Alex at alexmcfarland.com. That's alexmcfarland.com. Com. We're really excited. Uh, Monday, we're going to have our, our winter one-day fundraiser, and we have so much fun doing that. And I'm always looking forward to getting our Faith Radio family together, hearing stories of how God has worked in the lives of all the people that arrive on the shores of Faith Radio and learn and grow in their faith. And then they tell stories and they share uh, from their very generous heart, and it's a really amazing experience. That's all happening on Monday, which I'm looking forward to. All right, we'll take a break. And when hour two is coming up, Jeff Verdorn, and we're getting back into our study on who is this Jesus. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.